Hey everybody, this is Mike Burkholder with Contra Costa News, a podcast for the people and businesses of Contra Costa County. I am here with Christopher Cabaldon. Did I get that right? You sure oh did. Oh my God. For those <laughs> of you that obviously did not hear the beginning or the offline conversation, I probably had to take about 20 takes. So that's a little tidbit. But that's pretty good. That's better, <laughs> that's better than most people. So going forward, it's just Chris or Christopher. Yeah. That's what I'm going to call you going forward. So um, you are a Senate District 3 candidate. State of California. I am. You are in one of the stupidest district lines <laughs> in all of California, and I will say that is first. Actually, the second worst is Assembly District 11, and I say that because you only have like three or four communities in Contra Costa County, and you're combined with like three others. There's six. There's counties six counties in this, in this Senate race. Yeah, this Senate district. It's always like this. It's the leftovers. <laughs> so that you know, the commission that draws the districts. So we don't want you, county. They start with the coast. Like they're suppo- they're required to start at the north of the state and then go down the coast. And then they make sure San Francisco's uh, all hold together and they keep Sacramento together. And then whatever's left over ends up in our district. And so it has just a little bit of Sonoma County, a small a small portion of Contra Costa, all of Solano, all of Yolo, um, and a little bit of Sacramento County too. Yeah, so basically Brentwood, Oakley. Basically Brentwood, Oakley, Bethel Island, Discovery Bay. Discovery Bay. Oh, so you do get Discovery Mm -hmm. Bay. Mm -hmm. So they moved that away from, uh, okay. Yeah, the commission wanted to, uh, I mean, part of the motivation here was to create a district that had most of the delta. So almost the whole delta, except for Antioch and the San Joaquin County part, is in the same uh, third Senate district. I mean, if I wanted to be a smartass, I'd I'd actually ask who wants Antioch these days, but... We'll move on. Uh, so this is a little in, uh, different dis- uh, interview because you're mostly not Contra Costa County. So a lot of my voter friends were asking, who do we vote for in Senate 3? We have no idea who any of these people are because we've got you. We've got a candidate out of Vallejo, um, some, a couple Republicans, Ronert Park, Dixon. Who are all you? So, so – <laughs> For the audience, give a quick spiel about who you are and what your background is, because honestly, it's pretty damn impressive. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, well, thank you. I am, uh, I was the mayor up in Yolo County in a town called West Sacramento, uh, which is not actually in Sacramento, uh, for just over 20 years. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm, and I'm the Delta candidate in the race, basically. So the West Sacramento is the northernmost city in the Delta, and I served on the Delta Protection Commission for the state of California. Um, as well as the Water Quality Control Board for the entire Central Valley under a couple of different governors, uh, trying to protect the, just the, the, the health of the Delta, the, the water, the water quality, the, the fish and the critters, the recreation, and especially the towns, uh, the people of the Delta that are almost always forgotten in, in, that, in, in, our, in our debates about that. Um, and I also worked in the legislature before I was mayor. I ran the Higher Education Committee in the Assembly, the lower house of the legislature, and I've had the chance to serve in the administrations in various environmental and education capacities of um, the last five governors from both parties. So I, I really have uh, you know, uh, been preparing, I guess. It wasn't my plan, but preparing to sort of figure out how, to, how can state government be better at, or at helping local communities and places, which is where life is, um, achieve what they're trying to do. We did that in my – West Sacramento is one of the great turnaround stories um, in America, and – uh, so I know what's possible, and I learned that in the, on the ground, just making stuff happen. 
And uh, but too often the state state government, state policy, state regulations, state funding, state grant criteria, they just don't see communities like ours. So I decided to run. As you say, there are d- are also candidates from every corner of the district, um, uh, and the other Democratic candidates on the far uh, northwest of the district. Um, but really, what you say about Contra Costa is true for almost the whole district. Everyone thinks, ah, oh, we're just a little part of this district. There must be some big part somewhere else. And the truth is, there really isn't. Uh, I think it's one of the great things about the Third Senate District. It's just a collection of, of a, a lot of different kind of communities that have a, both a heritage but also a aspiration about what they want to become and what they're trying to be. Uh, and for de- and develop into and uh, that's that's what I love doing. So. I just figured that with the grapes and Oakley nights and all that with Napa, I mean maybe that was the connection. I don't know. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> could be. There's a there's wine grape growing. I think in every single one of yeah. the six counties in the district. So you might be onto something. It's the one thing that draws it all together. I mean, hey, at least there's Clarksburg, right? Yes. <laughs> um, now what I what I found impressive about you is because of your background and. and we'll get into all that is you clearly understand the state budget, how it works, how it's developed the basically the big decisions that are going to be have to be made here shortly. You understand policy, how it works, how it's created, what's needed, the negotiations, and you also understand the process, which I think is very important, especially right now with just you have all these loudmouths that want to do all this stuff and then they realize they can't do it because no one wants to work with them. So how have you brought people together in your experience in West Sacramento to be able to achieve a lot of that stuff from evil stepchild syndrome in Sacramento mm-hmm. to get a lot done? Yeah, I mean, you're really right. So, I mean, there's so many uh, you know, higher-level politicians at the state and national level, but especially in California, uh, that kind of – lazy is not quite the right word, but this, this idea that you can just wish – you know, big changes into existence. And, and if you look at the, you know, a lot of the laws coming out of the Capitol, you know, almost all of them are in a couple of categories. They ban things, they mandate things, and they set 10-year goals for things. There's some other, go- there's a lot of good things too, but mo- a lot are in that category. And those are, you know, it's not like bans, mandates, and goals aren't a good thing sometimes, but if that's all you got, uh, that's not how you, that you can't run the fifth largest economy in the world that way. Uh, and what, what I learned as mayor is you got to, you, you can have a, a goal for, you know, the, the best transit system in America and it should be free for everybody and go everywhere and run every five minutes. But you got to it has to work like you've got to pay for it. Uh, you got know, to you got to find the staffing to make it to make it happen. Uh, it's got to somehow get to all the cul-de-sacs in the city. I mean, it's you got to really take responsibility for, for getting it done and also realize government is just one part of the equation here. Um, the, uh, I, uh, the locally, uh, you know, folks say, you know, West Sac understands the humility of government, like the limits of what government is. And government is, we have the, like, un, um, almost limitless power to say no to things, but we can't, we can't get, we can't make anybody say yes. Like I, if you want to, you know, start a new restaurant or open up a company in, in, in my community, I can, there's a hundred ways for me to tell you, you can't, there's no way for me to make you do it. So what I learned really in that local community is around how to how to bust down the barriers, how to use the power of government to make it more likely that energized, talented people that want to do stuff, entrepreneurs, you know, companies, civic activists, that they can get it done. 
and that's been really the experience in, in the city. I mean, we achieve you know what we've done in terms of uh, we're the one of the always one of the top fifteen housing producers, affordable and market. Done all this stuff on education and college and career that we can talk about too, um, and completely rebuilt the city into an economic powerhouse. That doesn't happen just by passing an, a law saying it's going to be. You 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 have to do the hard work and roll up your sleeves. And going through multiple recessions, you mentioned the budget. Um, to learn uh, that uh, that that humility is sometimes an absolute essential because uh, even when you're making cuts, you still want to make your you want to get your community moving forward. That's what we did. And although I'm not excited about going into the capital right at the moment with, when we have a 68 or 75 billion dollar deficit, whatever the number, is. it's got to get done. Right? <laughs> we got we have to solve that, um, and we, and we've got to solve it you know in, on an ongoing basis and get much more disciplined about the way that we do budgeting in California. See, and I think you're in an interesting. Senate district where you have a lot of taxpayers that are paying taxes and because of the farmland, because of the certain types of businesses, we pay all this taxes, but we're not getting the rewards from our taxes in terms of roads, bridges. I mean, how do we, how do you bring that tax money to this area? Yeah, it's a, it, it, so this is one of the reasons why I, I, I was passionate about running. It's like, so in, in my own city, partly because I, I was, had worked in state government for so long, I kind of knew where the quarters, the couches where the quarters were buried and, uh, you know, how to work the state grant criteria and all of that. And so we really, we were able to tap a lot of the state and federal money, but that can't, that's not how most cities are, um, especially in communities like, like, like us. And so, you know, when was the last year a a senator or an assembly member from Brentwood or Oakley or Discovery Bay, Bethel Island led the budget committee in the legislature? Well, never. Uh, And the funding formulas uh, all reflect that. The funding formulas all advantage the really urbanized uh, coastal areas of California, and it shows. Um, y- even on something like housing, you know, we got this massive housing crisis in the state saying, hey, you know, every city needs to grow by a whole lot. Um, you're like, ah, that's really hard to do because of the infrastructure costs. Uh, in addition, we're trying to build a, compl- a you know, complete economy in places like here in Brentwood. Um, and, but the state says, but don't worry, we've got so these grant programs that can help you. You know, they're, they're money for housing projects. But again, well, I'm going to go back, sorry to cut you off, but it's like San Francisco does not apply to Brentwood, Oakley, Clarksburg. Uh, I mean, we go down the list. Dixon, American Canyon, Rio Vista, Calistoga, How does, all that. It can't be a one That's solution. exactly right. So, so this is why I said, so they, they, they So wait, are, do you get to go to Sacramento and then arm wrestle Scott Wiener and yes. say, hey, change your bill? Yes, exactly. You got But you got to be in the room. And you got to be like, <laughs> I, I'm a, like nobody's going to say I'm, I'm anti-housing. We're very pro-housing. We're one of the first pro-housing in the state. But this is not the way to do it. Uh, so I, I mentioned these grant programs that exist, and it's true they exist. But what's one of the criteria that shows up in almost all of them? If you want to get the money, ah, it's it's a, it's a, a very good sounding criteria. It is your project should be within walking distance of a transit line that runs every fifteen minutes? Well, that, that uh, you know, as an environmental land use you know guy from the city from city hall, I'm like that's a that's a great aspiration to get to. We should be building more housing around transit. But here's the problem: there aren't two square inches of Senate District Three that have every fifteen minute transit. Uh, service, <laughs> which means no one in our district, uh, uh, from Contra Costa to Yolo, Napa, Solano, uh, Sonoma, uh, Sacramento, none of the communities of the district can even can even apply. So you're already disqualified before exactly. you even can apply. Yeah, and so it's you know it's not like somebody was out to get us. It's just nobody is paying attention to like how does how does how do, how does housing economics work in communities like ours? What what are the other you know in places that have a, uh, built a lot of housing in the last generation and now need to fill in their communities with more jobs with more commercial services with more retail amenities like how do we see that 
and how do we and how do we adjust those formulas? So I, I'm I'm running in part to be a champion to to uh, to to fix those budget systems so that they work for communities like ours where a lot of the action in California is happening. Yeah, no, and I I appreciate that answer because to me this one solution for everybody just is what's the problem with California is you have Sacramento or not Sacramento Sa- uh, San Francisco L.A. And these bigger cities dictating policy that just doesn't even apply to ninety five percent of California. Yeah, it's so it's it's really true, and you and you see this very you know if you're if you're on a city council or your mayor or you're just paying attention to your local community, you see it all the time, and uh, you're trying to comply with all these laws, you're trying to get just some basic you know financial support for the stuff the state wants you to do, and you're ready to help do it. And then you can't. You don't qualify. You're not eligible. You get you get 2,500 points if you happen to be in the Coastal Commission zone or, you know, whatever. Um, and it all adds up. And so then all that's left is the only tool the state has left is the hammer. Oh, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll sue you. <laughs> we'll send you to jail. Like, ah, there's, there, uh, you know, you didn't give us a fair shot um, in the first place for the resources that we need to make this work. Yeah. So, so I mean, the, the bu- with the budget situation the way it is, it's not like I can go in and say, let, let's get another $20 billion from no. Senate District 3. But, you know, as we're opening... But you're not going to cut from Senate District that's 3. Right, right. <laughs> we're going to have to, we're gonna have to be opening up all these fo- formulas, all these programs, and say, okay, what's the real, what are the really important ones, but also how do they work on the ground in the rest of California? Yeah, no, that's what I appreciate about you is you, you know where all this stuff's at. So I think that's a, a nice check mark for you. Um, you know, the one thing I, I, I was just like, man, how could a guy be mayor for 20 years? Like... You know, I mean, you could go over your whole resume when I don't want to get into that. But when you lost, I mean, what did you learn from that? Well, it's funny. So funny story. I try, in two, in 2014, I started telling people on the city council, look, I've, I've already been in office for you know 15 years as mayor. It's, it's time for somebody else to do this. I'm like, um, uh, I don't know. I'm not really ready. My kids are in school. Or, nobody would run. Um, and, uh. Uh, and then in 2018, I, I ran virtually unopposed. But then I got a, a, a faculty appointment at Sac State uh, at the university as a professor of public policy with tenure, the whole thing, th- things that you, you know, dream of as an academic. Um, and uh, and I, so I told everybody in city council, I'm not going to run again. I'm not running in 2020. This is, I've, I've got to focus on my teaching. And, uh, and so people started to prepare to run. And then, the, and then COVID hit, uh, you know, a couple of months before the – the deadline to file for election and one by one uh, everyone else in the city council and other community leadership positions said hey I, I just can't see doing this right now <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hold on you know for dear life and this job seems horrible which it was then so I ended up filing for re-election even though I knew I, both personally and also for a city 20 years is a long time um, and so I wasn't in, not intending to run but I, I put myself at the last minute an, another council member decided to file and uh, I said, look, you know, good for you. I'm not campaigning because I've got to really focus on COVID itself. And sure. I, I have to be a public health advocate right now. Not a, I can't be out self-promoting. Yeah. So, so I didn't really learn that much from the, from the loss. Cause I, you were kind of ready. To I was completely ready. Um, it was time, even though we'd been incredibly successful the whole time, including up to the end, you know, you, there's a point where you're like, I, we need the city, like the leadership of the city has to broaden and new ideas have to be, to be brought in, so I was not, not I was uh, not surprised, and also in, in some sense very grateful <laughs> for the chance to to uh, to to leave the mayor's office and turn it over to a, a group of now the council there is all women, 
Uh, it's in, in the most diverse uh, city council in Northern California, and I'm proud of where they're at. Well, see, and that, but see, that's what contradicts what was in the public in the paper. Martha Guerrero sub, uh, suggested that you had lost touch with the city's ordinary residents, and I'm not seeing that in all my research. I, I'm seeing that you're super engaged, that you were doing what needed to be done for the city, maybe during COVID, which nobody really knew what they were doing anyway. Um, <laughs> But how are you? How do you remain accessible, and what are the things that you've done since tw- since leaving office? No, just to bring people together. Oh, I mean, yeah. Well, I, th- I mean, th- so uh, in in West Sacramento in particular, it, th- I mean, that's the whole job. Uh, you know, as I was saying, it's earlier, not that big of a city. It's not that big. I mean, today we're fifty five thousand, but when I started, we were half as big, and we uh, uh, we were the poorest city in the region. We didn't have any resources. So y- when you want to make big change happen, you got to inspire people. You got to support them. You got to energize them. Uh, you got to negotiate well. I mean, you've got to do everything except brute force it because you don't have the, the power or the money to do that. So it really is all about listening and about getting it, about getting it done. But also moving forward, you know, a, a lot of our civic discourse today is, is so much, it's so much negativity in the sense of what are all the things that co- could go wrong if we did this new project? Um, and then you ju- like you just analyze it and analyze it and, la- and people just worry and worry but and okay, worry. but see, then you get into the whole academic, which you just said you went into academics mm-hmm. versus common sense logic in the real world. How do you balance that? Because I think that's the frustration with a lot of people uh, in in California is like we see this in common sense, they see this from an academia standpoint. Yeah, well, I wish it. I wish it actually were more academic. It's not even academic. It's just ideology. Uh, mostly, uh, I mean that's most of what's happening. Is so it's not even like there's evidence or research happening. True. <laughs> um, it's common sense versus just pu- sort of this ideological purism um, that's out there that you know demands that that you you shouldn't pay attention to any of. Should like, not eat Skittles. How is this going to get implemented? I think it's a, that should be a real question. Who's going to pay the price for it? Uh, how will real people in the world when we when we do uh, plastic bag recycling, for example, how are they actually going to react? And you might have seen, you know, there's a, a, a study out uh, last week that said it, it looks like it's possible that we actually made plastic bag uh, waste in our landfills worse with the law that we passed um, because people, uh, the company started making slightly thicker bags um, that technically are reusable but are never reused. They're just thrown away too. So, it, you know, understanding how are the policies actually going to play out when, when as one of, uh, another senator often says, when the darn humans get involved <laughs> um, <laughs> is really important. And so, but often I think today there's this like quick instant gratification. I just want to pass, you know, some policy that's one sentence long um, that I read about from, you know, South Carolina or from Sweden and make it a law here without doing the homework. That's the coastal legislators, everybody. <laughs> and you got you got to do the homework, right? That's you when you when you're when you're a mayor, and especially for that long, you're like, okay, I have all these big ideas, but also we got to pick up the trash on Thursday. Also, we have to put the fire out. Also, that small business can't afford a two hundred dollar business license fee, right? You gotta you have to live in the real world and make common sense decisions. And so, what you said right there is kind of what I've figured out just researching you in the last couple days because you know, I knew nothing about you, and, and I was kind of just. Senate three, whatever. I'm just going to mark who, whoever's endorsing. I, it was a lazy thing I was doing. And I'm seeing your your picture with Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Jill Biden, um, Gray Davis, everybody, right? So you got this incredible resume that I would give this impression that you're an extreme leftist crazy guy. But then 
the policies are actually closer to the middle than you even lead on. Is that by design? Because I, I think you're more to the middle than you want to admit. Uh, well, I, I, I think I, I am a pragmatic, uh, whatever, liberal, progressive, whatever you want to say. I mean, my, my uh, you know, I want to uh, uh, implement really aggressive climate change policies sure. that work and that we can deliver. Uh, you know, I, I am a, a very strong uh, champion for reproductive rights and freedom and for, you know, civil rights for all communities, LGBTQ, civil rights, all of it. Um, I think, uh, you know, part of the reason why the, this weird, you know, what, what might seem weird, like, how does this mayor of a city of 55,000 people, why why is he with Barack exactly. Obama and doing this stuff? <laughs> and, you know, who are, you know. Barack and who would turn it down? Well, well, yes, but I, even <laughs> even for me, I'm like, what am I doing in the White House for you know for the twentieth time this this year during that period? Um, you know, President Obama wasn't a radical, you know, in, in in that sense, but very pragmatic. Like how he used to he used to consider himself sort of like the nation's mayor. The same idea that it has to work. Because um, I thought with him he deferred a lot of stuff. Well, it, it, well, and so I got called in in part because it, to my to my great surprise, I got called in because. I was getting a reputation among the mayors for somebody that just like does the work, yeah. both both at home in the city. But you know, when when the, when somebody says we ne- we need to work on like vehicle procurement standards that will cr- you know uh, have us buy more hybrids or hybrid vehicles or something, um, that I would actually follow up on what I said I was going to do, and you know, newsflash, not all the not all politicians do that, and so. Uh, we got to pass the bill to know what's in the bill. Ex- yes, and even then, maybe we, th- maybe we don't care. So I, so that's how I started. Even despite the fact that you know we're not West Sacramento is not Chicago uh, or Miami, uh, but they were like, but we can count on 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 you to actually get to to, to deliver the results. And so I really think of this like there's no point uh, like you can't um, advance progressive ideals if you're not pragmatic about how how you're doing that, but also what are the daily concerns of people. That you're trying to help move um, move forward, um, and that's often lost in the in the political debate today. It's just it, like I said before; it's just instant gratification. I mean, I want some big, gigantic press release story without understanding what the impacts are going to be or how to get there. Sure, and yeah, I mean, because maybe my opinion of that being more central centrist was a little off, but it, it's more of like realistic. You're more of a realistic candidate of yeah, we want to do this, but. It's not going to happen if we can't get it done. So what's the point? Well, and you know, it's things like so. I mentioned tra- like transit earlier. So if you want to, if you want to really, fant- if you if you know, if Oakley wants the world's finest transit system, and you and it is, and you want it to be free for young people during the summers and for for folks with mobility issues, th- that's a really you know profound goal to get to. But here's the thing: transit is almost a hundred percent funded by sales tax revenues. Uh, and so if you want to really dramatically improve transit, you have to dramatically improve your sales tax revenues. And that means supporting small business. It means attracting and retaining the company. So even if you ran for office thinking, I'm going to be there to fight for transit, you're going to be spending most of your time on business retention, r- development, workforce development in order to make it possible. And Well, in our district, District 3 for the Senate, it, mm-hmm. you don't have the mass jobs business parks to where people want to take mass transit because you still need your car. So it's a pipe dream out here, maybe in 20, 30 years when it's developed, you know, we'll get into the whole major city thing, but you know, I I just want to go down a a laundry list of items with you. Um, 
Actually, no, I don't. I want to go back to 2015. <laughs> All right. When this whole college campaign came up, because I thought that was really cool. I'd never heard about this. Can you explain what this is? Because in the home run 2023 was really cool. You guys, or not you, but the annual report, 36 to 56 new interns. Uh, the accounts opened jumped from 278 to 621. Scholarships jumped from 49000 to 214000 And then the College Promise recipients jumped to 38 recipients. And this is all in the 2023 report. Mm-hmm. So explain this cool program. Yeah, so I, I'm an educator by, you know, by training, both in policy and in practice. I was vice chancellor of the community colleges and a professor at Sac State. So I, this is really my thing. And I, I also knew my city has uh, enough jobs for every man, woman, and child and half of the cats. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a lot of jobs. But we also, for a long time, had like, one of the highest unemployment rates in the entire region. So, it, and the issue was a lot of our local residents didn't have the, the, the technical skills or the background or the qualifications to, to get those jobs. They were good jobs. Um, so, I, at first I tried to work just with the school district and you know, try to beat them up, and I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and they're like, well, don't tell us what to do. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, what can a city do to help? Um, and so we started uh, actually back now almost 20 years ago with a, we were one of the first cities in California to do universal preschool. It didn't mean we paid for preschool for everybody, but we made sure there was, we connected every single child to, to high quality preschool and connected them to resources that were already there for most of them that they just weren't using, you know, Head Start or other that stuff. So we did that at the beginning and that kind of opened people's eyes. Well, maybe the city government without compromising, you know, parks or fire or police or anything, uh, the critical things that we do, we, maybe we can support because now kids are entering kindergarten much better prepared to learn. Sure. So we started doing that. Then I heard um, President Obama give us a, uh, a, a speech about uh, this, like where we are today in, in education and the workforce. And he said, look, you know, back in like 1900, America, most Americans didn't go to high school. Um, uh there wasn't high school universally, but all of the, you know, everybody started to realize at the end of the, of the prior century that uh, in, t- in today's economy in 1900, you, everybody needed to have a high school diploma to, to have a chance to be, to, you know, to have a, a good paying career that could support a family and that the country needed everybody to have a, a high school diploma in order to become the economic powerhouse that we, that we did. Um, and uh, so, you know, with over a period of a few years, really, the country mobilized and said, okay, if everybody needs that, then we should make sure that it's universally available at high quality um, and it's free. So that was the idea. That's what we did. And that is one of the major reasons why America, you know, going into World yeah. War I and beyond became, you know, the, the, the dominant force in the, in the, in the century. So what President Obama said is we're now at that point again. You know, like every study, every employer, every, everybody says every American needs some education past high school. It doesn't mean a bachelor's degree. Everybody does not need a bachelor's degree. But whether it's a bachelor's degree or a community college degree or a, certifi- uh, a technical certificate or an apprenticeship or time in the Air Force, that we all need, need something. But we have not, adju- unlike in 1900, we have done nothing about it as a country. So he said, you know, we should be making uh, community college available for without tuition to everyone in America. It hit the congr- the house the house floor with a thud, <laughs> so they didn't go anywhere. And he so he called a group of, of us together and said, we should we should let's go out in the on, in the 
in every corner of America and, and, and launch programs like this where community college can be tuition-free for all um, in red states and, and blue states and every kind of community. And uh, so he asked uh, Dr. Jill Biden, a second lady, to lead it, and then a group, of, you know, a dozen of us, uh, and I was there to represent both mayors and governors and uh, local officials, can we go out and, and create maybe 400 of these programs? Um, and, of course, once I got that appointment, like, well, I better do it locally. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I didn't know how, um, but uh, for, uh, you know, no another story, which I won't go into now, but we stumbled upon a potential revenue source, and we did it. And, uh, 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 and this was back in 2015. Exactly. And we also, at that time, the state had this little pilot program that they were starting that said if, if a local community wants to do college savings accounts, you know, you can apply for that. And I thought, well, this is our this is our stick. We always we get front in line when there's some innovation out there. So we applied. We got them. We were one of the first in the state for that. So we launched this thing called the Home Run, and it's the Home Run because we're the home of uh, my my very first project as mayor was building the what was Rayleigh Field now Sutter Health Park, the home of the Rivercats, the what was the the AAA franchise for the A's and now the Giants. Um, so we're baseball city. So it's the Home Run. We, you know, we're in the first base is universal preschool, second base is college savings accounts. Then uh, third base, we decided to uh, offer paid internships for every high school student in a college and career pathway. Yeah. Um, and then home, the the you know home plate was this college this college promise. So we implemented that, and as you said from from some of the statistics, it's the most comprehensive college and career program in America, um, and it's radically changed the way that we think about West Sacramento as being a good place to raise our. A family, which it, which a lot of parents were skeptical of before, and that and that's the program too. And, and if I read this or understood it correctly, it was where you guys started savings accounts right with preschool. Uh, so every entering kindergarten and kindergarten, yeah, um, gets a college savings account open, and it's just it's it, I mean it costs us almost nothing. That's a, I mean we, yeah. all of these things cost us almost nothing because it's like fifty dollars per kid, which and we got some state uh, grant support to help us a little bit with it. But the but the crazy thing is like on the research says that for low income kids, having a college savings account open for them um, of even twenty dollars increases the chance that they'll go to college. You know when they get old enough, by seven times. So this is the best twenty dollars yeah. I've, I've ever spent. So I you know it's a, to me it's an example like even small places can do breakthrough innovation that really transforms people's lives and doesn't cost billions and billions of dollars, um, but just like works. Yeah, and then from, and and just so people understand, twenty fifteen to twenty twenty three, you guys are now really seeing the results. Yes, because yeah. it does take time to get it up and running, get people buy in, people to be aware of it. So really, it it is like a before, in before you get all the accolades, you did all the hard work. So. Yeah. Well, the people around you too. But yeah, yeah, you got to build it. You got to build it over time because I mean, part of what you're doing is you're also changing the mindset in the city, like the the social psychology of where people. What we we had a big problem before where people would say, "Hey, mayor, my uh, I love the city. Things are going great. It's wonderful. Uh, my daughter just turned five, so we're moving." Because you know the family was af didn't think that our that our yeah. education system was up to snuff. Um, when you lose parents like that. Day after day after day, your school system starts to fail. Sure. And today, that's not an issue at all. People are like, I've come to West Sacramento for the education, and that's uh, that's a huge step. So explain that. You got appointed as vice chancellor of the California Community College. Like, what was that like? <laughs> yeah, so I uh, the California Community College, it's, a, you know, it's the largest uh, system of public higher education on the planet. Uh, you know, there's a, a, you know, a hundred, almost 120 colleges now. 
in every part of uh, in every part of California, and you know, two million Californians go to community college every year. So, I I was uh, honored to be appointed as the vice chancellor there. I had done a lot of work in state policy already in in the higher education space to uh, try to improve student outcomes, um, because at the time, you know, not even a quarter of students that would enter a community college would ever graduate with a degree or transfer to UC or CSU or complete a certificate. So we're really trying to turn that around. Um, so how do you improve retention then? Well, uh, so I'll, I'll give you an example because I, I used to come down to uh, uh, come over, uh, bring delegations over to Los Madonos to look at some, uh, uh, at some uh, career uh, partnership programs along the way. And I used to get this, this complaint from, from career programs throughout the state. Hey, Vice Chancellor, you know we're, we've got this really cool advanced auto mechanics program, or you know, uh, um, uh, uh, high tech garment manufacturing program. But you know, and when we report the data to you about how we're doing, we, it looks really bad. You know, our completion rates are really awful. And I'm like, well, so you know, what? What should we do about it? They said, well, you know, the problem is that you know our students, they after the first uh, year of this two year program, you know, we lose them all because they go get jobs. And so, you know, so we need to, you know, we need a little bit of help on redefining the standards. I'm like, have you thought about changing it to a one-year program? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? If you can, if a student can get a good paying job after one year, why are we expecting them to stay for two years? Yeah. Just because that's how we've always done it. Um, and so it's through ch partly through changes like that, just like mo thinking in a modern way about higher education and not about like the harvest and everything else um, that, that allows you to start <laughs> like adapting to today's economy. Like I said, common sense, everybody. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so now we have a lot more of these one-year programs or one-semester programs or, or a program where you might go for a semester and then come back three years later when you're ready to get promoted. <laughs> so, so it's really about redesigning the college, ex the college program to be not about the traditional college and instead about today's career paths yeah i i think colleges if you want to rein in the costs go back to the main programs and get rid of all these excess programs that nobody does anything with after they graduate and get back to actual common sense stuff well i, I mean students are voting that way with their feet and and you should expect you would expect that right i so don't know i just want a four-year degree give me something easy <laughs> uh, well you can still find i don't want to go to class well, but you can, I mean, now there's so many more options. Um, but this, this was a big problem for a long time because, you know, back in the 50s, um, hardly anybody went to college. Yeah. And the people that went to college were people whose parents went to college, they were wealthier, and they wanted to go to study philosophy and history and, and also, you know, engineering and science. But it was a very, very small percentage of Californians that would go on to the university. Today, because of the cultural changes that have happened, like almost everybody thinks they need to go to the university or at least to get a two-year degree, but it's that doesn't mean they're motivated by the same things as they were in the 1950s. They're not mostly looking for the humanities, and 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 that's it's too bad that more students aren't, and we're you know we should be encouraging more to do it, but we shouldn't be expecting everybody uh, to to be pursuing a 1950s higher education, and instead say, look, you're here, you you you've arrived here at Cal State East Bay because the whole world told you you had to go to college. Um, you're not here because you were excited about, you know, the 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 the, the normal curriculum. So how do we design an e the, the outcomes and the experience and the and the timing and the cost uh, in a way that's going to going to meet the needs that you're here for? Um, and I think that's starting to change now. Um, we can definitely do a better job in high school as well. We have a lot more programs where high school students are finishing even an associate degree while they're still in high yeah, school. Well that's really cool. It saves a lot of money too. 
Yeah, Dozier Libby at Antioch is one of the, like, the state leaders on the, in their health career pathways, as an example, um, uh, uh, around integrating you know college and career in high school to make better use of that time too. So there's so many, there's so much potential there, but it really is about the you know approaching it with a with a modern lens about how we're doing uh, career yeah. in college for everyone. Uh, one of the things I was actually curious about with you is the the city uh, West Sacramento did a lot of community based alternatives to policing for mental health related and neighborhood disturbance calls. What did you guys do specifically that's maybe now being implemented across the state? Because I think you guys were one of the pioneers in that area. We, in California, we were. So in Oregon and a couple of other states, these um, crisis intervention teams is one word for them, but there's uh, been a bunch of them, and especially in 2020 during all of the, the, the protests and the national issues um, around policing. Um, we, you know, I paneled a, a city task force with the police chief, um, and we were looking at like what can we what what can we do that makes sense um, in in this environment, and what we were hearing from a lot of residents, hey, you know, we're you know, I'll get uh, I'll get called on by my neighbor, um, and uh, this is you know, from like a black family in a cul-de-sac saying, I'll get my you know, I have a, a birthday party for my six-year-old daughter, and my neighbor will constantly call the the police, who will show up at my door, you know, fully uniformed, armed, ready to go, and it's just it's too loud of a party. And it feels like I'm being like we're being targeted. Sure. And so we said, okay, well, that actually raises a good question. Like, why are we even sending an armed officer in full uniform to a birthday party? Um, you know, are there th- are there the kinds of calls um, that don't require uh, that where we could send a community service officer or calls that you know where there's uh, uh, you know there's a, a mental health issue that's not a severe psychiatric disorder where somebody's a danger to themselves out on the street. Um, so could we do something different? And we saw in other states some cities that were. Piling them, so we w- we 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 had this. We developed this concept together, and then uh, within three and a half weeks, because that's just how we do it, we were implementing it. We were hiring um, folks to to do that um, uh, uh, inside the police department. It's been both very successful, and it has been adopted now. It's very common statewide. The 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 cities, the other cities in the district where where candidates are running against me, for example, they've all adopted it since then. And nationally, we've seen this too. I serve on the the National Police uh, Police Reform and Equitable Justice Awards Program pan- judge panel, and uh, it's been co- become very very common. It isn't the solution to everything. Like for, for folks who are concerned about policing and what have you, it's not everything. Right? The, but the it's part of the overall solution. It's part of it, the overall solution. It allows. We still have a long way to go. We have a long way to go, and it allows for you know the, for the for the sworn officers to really focus on what they need to be doing too, um, and they are being asked to do so many different. Um, uh, things in society right now that's not su- it's not sustainable um, and uh, and so you know figuring out how to how to how to uh, pr- you know, provide mental health care counseling services interventions in ways that that don't involve uh, sworn officers when it's not needed is a is a win win uh, both for the folks who need that who need that support but also for officers who, who we really need to be focused on you know tackling the 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 the, the serious risk risk-filled, uh, you know, uh, uh, crime uh, issues that, 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 that they're there for. Yeah, well, and, I mean, what was, what was the biggest complaint you were hearing from the police on a lot of these calls? Like, hey, we shouldn't have to go to these, or these could escalate really quickly when they didn't need to escalate. I mean, what, what was kind of your feedback in the very beginning? In the very beginning, I would say we weren't getting, a, it, it wasn't a top issue for the officers, you know they weren't they they weren't complaining. I mean they 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 get it. It wasn't as though it was the police department or the officers saying we want to wash our hands of this. Like don't bother us with these problems. They get it. 
and they see how it can escalate and they see how what today is just a minor problem tomorrow could be a, a violent crime. Um, so they weren't trying to run away from it. Um, but when we started talking about, well, is this the best use of, of your time? And they're like, I, no, it probably isn't. So, so we got, we, we all agreed to, to move forward on it, but I, but in no way, it, you know, was it an issue of the officer saying, we don't want to, we don't want to deal with these mental health issues. They get it. Yeah. Um, we got about 20 minutes left. So we're going to run down a bunch of these issues, uh, because I, I think I could talk about your background for a couple more hours. We're not going to do that. Um, one of my big issues right now is education because Democrats basically own what's going on in the schools right now. They own the issues arise from social distancing, distance learning, issues on campus. So my question to you being an academic, how do we do better? And how do we prevent the budget from screwing up these kids even more? Well, I don't have the answer to all of those no. things, but but some I do, ideas are nice. But I think you know, and and we talked a little bit about Dozier Libby in Antioch and about these, uh, you know, dual enrollment that sort of thing. So so part of part of the challenge here is that that young people um, aren't don't take uh, don't take secondary school as seriously, um, and its relevancy is not so clear. We're and all going to be TikTok stars. And, yes, exactly. So, so and when that happens, then you have other problems emerge, you know, when, when folks aren't, don't, don't see the purpose of why they're being <laughs> required by law to be present on campus. Um, and so there are a lot of other interventions in that space, but one of them um, that I've been working on now for a decade is to improve the relevance of high school with these college and career pathways. So, you know, in, in, 19, in 1950, we often say, oh, back then, you know, we had these great vocational programs and and uh, you know, kids uh, kids that didn't weren't college material, they would go in wood shop, and there was something for them. That's not entirely true. Like hardly anybody graduated from high school back then, <laughs> um, so it's not totally true. But then you got another f set of folks who say everybody should get a college degree, everybody should go to college, um, and the truth is everybody should get some education past high school, but everyone also is going to go into a career at some point, even if you're going to go study the humanities at Harvard. You're still going to get a job at some point. Um, and so what is really, I think, one of the high potential areas in, in public schools right now is this, this um, linked learning college and career pathway model that, that as I, I mentioned, Libby, but there's a lot of other schools in the state that are doing this that are, are transforming the curriculum so that young people are like, okay, I get why I need to know math because I'm here in a class where we're building a house. Um, uh, and uh, you see, when you see these programs in action uh, where, a where a young person graduates from high school, all the courses they need for UC and CSU, but they also may have also earned a couple of career certificates. Um, their history course, if they're in a if they're in a uh, health professions program like a Dozier Libby, um, then the history course has a little bit more accent on you know the history of health issues and where do health insurance come from or what have you. They might be they might be taking a Spanish course that's Spanish for health professions, where there's a little less emphasis on. How do you say the parts the parts of the kitchen and a little bit more on prescription drugs <laughs> and on how to talk to parents and how to fill out an insurance form? Um, those things bring it to life. Um, and, they, and even if you don't actually ultimately become a nurse, uh, for example, you know what you're learning for and you want to go to school and you want to get an internship that shows you how that works. So this is an area I've worked in for a long time, uh, 20 years ago or actually even 10 years ago. If you were taking that Spanish for Health Professions class, it wouldn't count for UC and CSU, even though you know you're learning all the same Spanish. It's just not in the same order. 
Um, same thing with math. If you're taking an engineering class, if you're in an engineering, you have to. If you're in engineering, you have to learn know a little bit of algebra, a little bit of geometry, a little. You you learn all the math sure. at once. You're not taking it one at a time because that's not how the world is. But UCNCSU weren't taking engineering math classes. They wouldn't accept them, even though it's like the most STEM, like yeah. the most mathy students that there were. So we did some work, and uh, over the last twelve years, fourteen we've gotten fourteen thousand of these classes that were previously considered non-college vocational classes to count for UCNCSU admission, so that it's more possible now for young people to really get a highly relevant, engaged, meaningful, like common sense education that they they see why it matters, they see how it relates, they can get these paid internships in the field. That, that make them want to learn and want to be at school and want to, you know, and, and, and see alternatives to TikTok or the NBA as their only future. So what about this whole idea of um, parents' rights? Because right now that's a big overhang in education is parents want to bring back some rights. I don't want my kid learning this. I don't want him learning that. How do we better engage parents to understand the big picture versus me, 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 my child, which they should, they have the right for my child, don't get me wrong. But when they start interfering with school board meetings, I mean, it's kind of a big ask. Yeah, it's a, it is a, it's a big problem. I mean, for, it's a big problem for a lot of the, the young people, especially because they're, they're, you know, their views on so many issues and rights and what have you are very divergent from their, from their parents and from where society is. And that's always been the case. Um, but it's especially true now, but also their own lives, right? As because the a lot of these these discussions they're not just about vaccinations; they're also about like things like ethnic studies or about um, you know LGBTQ kids and, and what have you. There's a lot of these issues that are very present. That even are Brentwood right now with sexual health. Yes, exactly, and they're and you know kind of the way that we're having debates in national politics have trickled down to school boards. The only difference is that we all have to live with each other in, in a school. <laughs> you might be a school board member. I'm not. I'm going to come and yell at you and protest and all that. But then tomorrow we're both going to be at the Rotary Club or, you know, <laughs> you're, you're going to be the, the coach of my daughter's soccer team. And I'm going to want you to put her on the, t you know, put her out on the field. Um, it's it, it, we can't let that happen. Like, it's not just about the schools, but it's about the safety of the kids. But then it's also about the, there's the viability of our own communities if we just turn into these like ideological wars. So I think does that go back to Sacramento? One solution fits every community. It is part of it. I mean, I think the you know, we have to do a better job of of in Sacramento of of being ourselves more disciplined about, you know, we can't we you know, the, the curriculum, uh, it, it's not a political thing. The curriculum, you know, we, we, we used to have a, a system, a, a more robust system of the state school board and, and consultations and, you know, doing some research and just testing things on the ground. There tends to be, you know, now there are a lot of legislators like, I have an idea. Let's make it the law and it'll apply to everybody on Thursday. Because um, what I don't understand <laughs> is why can't the education department, and we're totally off topic, but here's your set of like 20 things for grade four. You need to pick 10 of these, and this is what this district's going to pick of the 20. Yeah. Whatever the, whatever the numbers, I'm just throwing out just something off the top of my head so that you're not stuck in, you have to do these 10, and it's one solution for everybody. Yeah, yeah. I think there's more of that than there used to be, but not as much as, uh, I mean, for, the, so local, I mean the, the, the tough part if you're a local school board member is that you are constrained by the, the state sets the curriculum, um, and but your constituents don't know that. Because there's no way. Why are we not doing financial ed literacy education? Shouldn't we be doing more computer science? And shouldn't we be doing less of this other one? 
Um, and we can't in, in a in a you know in a democracy we depend on public schools to to create a common sense of of knowledge yeah. and values and what have you. So we c- it can't just be every town has its own curriculum. Um, but you're right. Uh, you know the 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 the, the purpose that 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 healthy tension between local school boards and their communities and this larger uh, function of public education in society, it's always been there. It's just it's turned you know, almost violent um, in a lot of communities. Yeah. And, uh, the, and and there's a responsibility both in local communities to, to, to moderate that more, and there's also a responsibility of the state to be more disciplined, to not to model a, a more a higher level. Slow know, it down a little bit. Let's yeah, think about our this. Our better angels around curriculum <laughs> and not like what, what would make a good press release for next week. Uh, what do you think about this whole idea of armed police officers on campuses or armed security, school resource officers? I know there's a new bill introduced that wants to place at least one armed officer on each campus. What are your thoughts on yeah, that. this is one of these pendulums, right? So, because it wasn't that long ago, the bill, the the same, you know, same bill was to ban armed police officers on, and so this co- kind of gets back to my, you know the point that we were talking about earlier, which is that the legislature, you know, it too often can only think of either banning things or mandating. Well, things. And this is a Republican bill. Yes. So. Yes, and it probably won't pass. Um, but, but but see, I could see his argument of okay, maybe this would apply for high schools. Yeah, which, 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 but, but I think this, that's an example. Like that's probably a decision best made locally sure. for that reason. It's like okay, maybe it works for this for high schools only, but maybe only in this context, and you know, in this. So that the, there there are trade offs, right? So the um, there's not a lot of evidence about the about uh, uh, improvements in safety or reductions in shootings and what have you um, that that come with having an armed officer on campus. So not a lot of evidence uh, for it. Um, uh, but they but the local communities need to make their own their own choices, and it's, it's certainly better than arming all the teachers, which <laughs> other folks have been saying. Um, and and the and the Those ch- parents and what you want to the other thing that you want to avoid that we really have a problem with in this country right now is you know we have all these kids that are going through you know active shooter trainings when they're in fourth grade, and like it's it's traumatic uh, sure. to you know when you're fourth grade and to 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 pretend even for two hours that all the adults in the world are trying to kill you. It's just a very bad way to, to, to promote learning and a sense of security and safety and all of that. So, uh, but we did all of those. We rushed to implement these active uh, shooter trainings all over the country. And I think the, the evidence has been maybe that wasn't such a great idea. In fact, it probably wasn't. And so it's just another example where, especially when we're dealing with schools and, and with children, um, you know, we need to, we, we do need to do the thinking um, before we rush to the, to the, the press release and, and, the and, to, and to piggyback off that with gun safety because i know you you mentioned that as one of your topics what are we doing wrong in this state we so i think i would say two things about gun safety in the state so one is uh we're, we, we've done it we've you know we have one of the most um you know sweeping set of gun laws sure. in the country um but you know, because of the way the courts are acting right now, you know, the uh, you know, there's not almost a, a week that goes by, not a week that goes by where one of those laws gets overturned. See, I don't even know what's law right now because it's like we're doing this. No, the court says this. No, we got to do this. We got to do. So, so that so this is one of. The, so I just don't think there's an honest conversation. 
uh, well, and and part of it is just it's this it's this back and forth between the state and these other and the federal courts and whatever. So, um, so one of the things one of the priorities in the in the legislature has to be to you know when a, when a, when one of the state's core laws gets struck down, then what do you do? Right? So, so it's one of the reasons why you do end up with all these new laws is that the state's trying to figure out, and we have to figure out. Okay, then in, if that doesn't work, then we'll maybe we'll try this. So that's part of it. But there are also a lot of other like sort of more basic issues around. You know, safe storage laws and and that sort of thing, which which uh, don't involve the you know the issues around can you have a weapon or not. Um, so I never understood that because safe s- storage is like common sense, yep. and I know most gun owners have no problem with it. Yep. It's more of the extreme gun owners that want free reign. But what is so difficult about putting a gun away? What well, is so difficult about not wanting somebody with a mental breakdown or issue or have known to have bipolar why why do you want them to have a firearm yeah well i mean the the vast majority of gun owners say the same thing <laughs> so it's not it's really not it's, i mean it's supercharged politically but it shouldn't be because of because almost all americans almost all californians pretty much agree on these core on these core ideas sure there's a lot of fights on the on the on the edges but these core things um, are are pretty universal, um, but they've still been incredible. But there's some dumb laws too, where you could only buy one gun a month. Where okay, now I want to buy my kid a gun, I can't do it. I want to buy my wife a gun, can't do it. It's some of that stuff just over the line to me. Mm. Yep. Well, I think that this that this. Uh, and that's my opinion, not yours. <laughs> <laughs> just for everybody. <laughs> well, I, no, I mean it, it's, it's it's easy to say when you talk about the spe- especially the, the legislature's laws because they they uh, honestly they're passing way too many. Um, but uh, so, so you do you agree with Kate Sanchez of limiting the number of bills you can introduce? Uh, I'm not. A that's pu- a tough one. I mean, there, there are limits already, but the, but they're so easy to get around because it's like okay, n- instead of you know, I was going to have a, a bill on. On the, on the Delta and the tunnels, uh, and I was gonna also going to have a bill about you know yeah, just the, amend it the, the salmon run you know through you know through through you know through the creeks here. Um, now I'll just put them in one bill. Yeah. Right. So so uh, or or as you say, I'll, I'll, I'll at the last minute I'll add this one additional provision. So they you know the ideas the ideas <laughs> right, but don't be fooled. Like it's not going to stop the problem because there are, there is a limit. Is she wants less, yeah. but. Um, Let's go to the Delta. Where do you? Th- where are your thoughts on that? Are you a yes, no, hell no on the tunnel? Tunnels. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a I'm a hell no on the tunnels. Um, and I was on the peripheral canal like when I was a kid. <laughs> this, this, you know, the the Delta. It's it's not it's it's not working right now. Like uh, the, the, there's, I mean, the, the we're experiencing all kinds of issues with the the smelt and with you know other other fish and critters. Um, the levee system in so much of the Delta is at risk. Uh, we're dealing with sea level rise, salt and saltwater intrusion. So there's all kinds of problems in the Delta for sure. Um, but I, I'm absolutely convinced the one thing that won't make it better is sucking a whole bunch more <laughs> water out and sending it down to Southern California to you know to water up some deserts. That's definitely there's there's no science that suggests that pulling more water out of the Delta is going to help. Um, and honestly, it's not even clear that it's it's needed in Southern California anymore. Build storage. What's the problem? Yeah. We, yes. It, but uh, I mean, we got a complete sites reservoir as an example. We have, there's so much opportunity for aquifer and 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 and, and under underground storage, for example. 
So managing that better. But we're also we are improving conservation in California. I mean, yeah. this is this is why even even the the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, our main nemesis on this project, even they they're starting to have some very deeply split votes about whether they want to do the project. Because like we're not sure it's worth it. It makes for no us. sense. It makes no so sense. So I think it's a horrible idea. Um, and uh, the other, but the piece of it that's almost always not considered is what is the impact on Delta communities? Yeah. Um, both from the the tunnels, but generally about state water policy because it's so important for the overall state, and there aren't that many of us that live here in the Delta. But the but for those of us that live here, the the farms, the recreation, the the tourism and economic development, these are critical. Um, and so one of you know so what uh, it's really powerfully important. This is where the redistricting commission got it right that the Delta have a strong champion for it. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on the wildfire insurance issues and the insurance in general? Because there's a lot of people getting canceled. Insurance companies are leaving the state. We have just big increases. I mean, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, at the beginning of some of this, uh, of this crisis, I mean, this is, it feels like everything's a crisis right now, but this is definitely one, this is for real. The initial response from a lot of policymakers was, well, you know what? People should just not live in wildfire area, wildfire areas. And if we just if they didn't if they can't get insurance, it just means they'll stop making the bad decisions of living in wildfire areas. And I, I was reading like a commentary in in one of the statewide newspapers the other day that basically made this case. So how is Brentwood in a wildfire area? Uh-huh. How is Pleasanton, Walnut Creek? Yep. Um, no. So, so I look, so I looked at the byline on this column and I'm like, wait, she lives in, in, in East Sacramento, the, who, who wrote this column, which you know, if you've ever been to East Sacramento, like ha- a lot of the roads in, they have these gigantic movable walls, uh, for, fl- to protect them against floods. Um, so which are s- subsidized and flood insurance is, is subsidized by all of us, by taxpayers, um, uh, so is earthquake insurance. The California Earthquake Authority is a state agency set up for this purpose. A- and so if you look at the map of California, like 80-something percent of us live in a hazard zone. We live in a wildfire zone, a flood zone, or an earthquake zone. Or, and a few live in mudslide zones. So it's all of us. And so this idea that it's just people shouldn't live in flood zones, they shouldn't live in wildfire zones, like we cannot all move to what, – what's the closest one that's not – Davis. Davis is not ready to grow. So that's by a perfect city, then. Yes, but they're but, but they're not willing to grow by forty million people. <laughs> so we got, we we need a backup plan, and and so uh, although you know we shouldn't be we should not be building a lot more housing in new flood zones and new earthquake zones and new wildfire zones. Like if it's not if we're not already there, we shouldn't be adding a whole lot. Um, the idea that we're, everybody in California is going to pick up and move somewhere else is that's not real. Um, so we have to fix the insurance system and to accommodate that. What we're facing on wildfire insurance was a partly a crisis of the state's own making because the, the state law and the insurance commissioner said, hey, insurance companies, you're not allowed to consider the impacts of climate change when you when you submit a rate request. And uh, it, which is extremely hypocritical because in every other domain, the state says, hey, climate change is real, everybody. Why are you why are you denying it? But in this one moment, they said you can't consider. And the insurance companies finally said, look, we. We're climate, out. Peace out. Climate change is for real, and we're seeing it in the wildfires and everything else that we're that we're having to like, like do payouts for. So if we can't uh, include that in our premiums, we can't we can't make we can't stay solvent here. So it is a big problem. It's a major problem. And the legislature has to look, you know make some hard choices and look this stuff honestly in the eye and say, okay, what's the what does belong in the insurance rates? 
Um, and that's got to be an issue that is solved statewide. Yeah. It can't just be put on. It can't just be put on the homeowners that are in the ham in the hazard zone itself. Where are you at on Prop Forty Seven and some of the repealing or crime in general? I mean, do you think some of these? I mean, what's your solution on to all this crime going on? <laughs> all right, that's a big one. I mean, so uh, let me let, let's start with Prop Forty Seven because you because you led with that too. In Prop 47, uh, you know, which was the ballot measure that Californians voted for a decade ago, um, I would say we were tricked. Well, I mean, I mean just like just like we can time travel back. Like if you if that during that period, um, you know, the state was in a lot of hurt because the federal courts said you uh, the the overcrowding in your prisons is so severe that it qualifies as cruel and unusual punishment, and so you have to do something about your prison population. And so, you know, Governor Schwarzenegger and to some extent Governor Brown, but mainly Governor Schwarzenegger's administration, you know, had to grapple with this. Like, And so how do we reduce the prison population? How do we build more prisons? All of that was happening simultaneously. So Prop 47 in part was a response to that court case. Now it's so far gone. We, we, we think we just did it on our own choice, but there was other stuff going on. Um, and so, you know, the basic idea was, like, can we move some a lot of people out of the state prisons into county jail and then folks that that haven't committed, you know, severe crimes to you know get them into because then we got into AB one hundred and nine into alternative treatments and all of that. So that was the idea, um, but then we didn't uh, we didn't make any investments in the in the in the uh, you know the the job pathways, the housing. The sh- we just said, okay, now you're out. Um, good luck to you, and we're gonna you know we might follow up with you if we had an, and if we had enough parole and probation officers, we would, but we didn't. And uh, and so now, when you hear folks talking about Prop Forty Seven and homelessness, for example, that's why it's not. It, it's that we didn't, you know, we 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 knew because voters passed this initiative that there were going to be a lot of folks coming back to back to communities or other parts of the state, and that we didn't we did not prepare and make those investments. So we are seeing those impacts. Um, and then with the with the retails, the smash and grabs, and all of that that are happening around California, and the this nine hundred and fifty dollar threshold for. Being able to charge with a you know with a serious crime and, and what have you, these were, which was in Prop Forty Seven, um, we do have to be you know, taking a look at that. We're seeing the impacts community after community after community after community. So, do you have a dollar amount you would like to see? I don't in know a perfect scenario. I don't know that the dollar amount. I'm not saying the dollar amount might be the right change, um, but you know, for example, a couple of legislators just introduced leg- uh, you know bill that that said okay. Um, but uh, that dollar amount is now going to be cumulative. cumulative. If you you know if you do three stores in a day, then that counts. Um, another one of their proposals is to say, um, look, uh, if it's if it's clearly for sale, because right, there's been this debate in, in yeah. Sacramento. Well, no, people are doing these smash and grabs because they are you know they they can't survive and they just you know they need they need food and 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 basic clothing. Well, food is one thing. Clothing and perfume and sunglasses. Come on. Yeah. So that's so that's what this Tools. other this one of the, the uh, this other, one of these other proposals in the Capitol right now is to say, okay, if if it's clear that the that the theft that's occurring is for essentially for commercial resale, then then then, then it does also counts differently than against that that nine hundred dollar nine hundred fifty dollar threshold. So you know whether it's the dollar amount or not, the these kinds of proposals deserve to be taken up and they haven't for years um, because we're seeing what the impacts are um, on the street every day both in inter- and, and it has it's not just the crime itself it's it, it's that it creates um, a chilling effect on small business and big business and shopping on you know people feel unsafe um, in their communities 
um, and it creates all the wrong incentives. So um, those kinds of reforms and changes uh, have to occur. We got time for a few more? Uh, maybe one or two. One or two <laughs> more. Yeah, I know we're running gotta go, late. Got to go visit with some voters um, in the living room. But I, I think this is important because you have been an advocate for basically uh, women's rights. Uh, explain your, your thought process there. Because I know in California it's pretty much a done deal. We're going to protect a woman's right and their health care. Um, explain your position. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, I'm the I'm the Planned Parenthood Planned Parenthood sole endorsed candidate in the Senate race, and it's because, um, uh, well, I will say also, you're right. Californians just voted to to put the the you know reproductive rights, the right to abortion, uh, in the Constitution. So you, you you don't get better than that at state policy, um, but there are two things that we've got to do. One is you got, you got to make it real in the in in the state itself. So we've got these. We've got some communities. Beverly Hills is one of them. Beverly Hills is like, we're not going to approve a, a reproductive health clinic. It's funny because like a week before that, they passed a resolution saying, we are the, you know, the haven, the sanctuary for re- reproductive rights. But then when an actual clinic came forward, like, ah, no, we don't, we don't want to have that here. So part of it is just making sure that, you know, th- in the same way that we've tried to make it a little bit easier to build uh, more housing that we need and other things, that, that we do the same thing to make sure that it's not just a, a right that you have, but you can actually get access to services. And then the other is just because of the, all the, everything that's going on nationally and in the other states, um, those have implications here. You know, we've got, we've got um, uh, women who are ordering uh, abortion medica- medication abortion from providers here, and then we have their attorney generals, you know, trying to get the records from doctors here, and and that that they can then prosecute the women. But also, you know, if you are if you're a, a nurse or a doctor here and you and you prescribe that medication or you perform it uh, in clinic uh, abortion, for example, and then you happen to be going to Disney World, what happens to you? Are you are you subject to being arrested there because you broke Florida's laws? So we. We have a job to do in order to protect uh, both both uh, uh, women and healthcare providers in the state. And then, I guess, more fundamentally, this isn't just about it's it's not only a women's issue, right? It's the because the all of these laws in there um, that, that you know that are at stake, they all stem from like nineteen uh, laws that were eliminated with Roe and with the uh, Texas decision about LB, LGBTQ rights. There were these laws on they the book. Get into these civil rights issues. They, yeah, because they were they were laws. St- a lot of states had laws on the books that that basically said that non pro non procreative sex was itself illegal. Um, and so what the court said started to say in the '60s and then with Roe was that's the, you're violating people's right to privacy if they if they if they want to have sex without the intention of having children within a marriage that's their that's their right to do. And so that's it, so what's at stake here is much bigger. Um, but even what's it, even even the immediate issues around abor- abortion rights are so severe and so important, um, and so and put so many people at risk, both in California and nationally, that it's got to continue to be a major state priority. And so, final thing, like systematic racism, like what would you like to bring to Sacramento to better? I don't want to say educate California because there's many communities that just don't believe that systematic racism believe, uh, occurs. What? How would you want to address this issue specifically for the district? Yeah, th- I mean, this is a district where it's I, so divided. It's divided, and but also, you know, in in a, you know, I'll just pick one example, Vallejo. Um, you know, it's a city where 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 these issues, especially but not exclusively in policing, have been s- at the forefront. 
you know, even even the American Nightmare show on Netflix, you know, has been in the top. Five. I got a credit in that. What? There was a <laughs> little tweet that they showed from me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's awesome. Uh, so you've been in the number one, two, or three, or four, or five uh, show on Netflix for the last month and a half. <laughs> Kudos to you, a man. Claim to flame. That's Woo-hoo. awesome. Um, but so so that's an example where the system is not working, um, and 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 these are you know widely universally known problems that are happening in Vallejo by everyone. Everyone knows that in Vallejo and and outside, and uh, uh, they're not getting addressed. Um, and the, the city hasn't hasn't really. Uh, well, they just had a report, and it's like, okay, now what? Yeah, and the and the uh, so there's a report you know saying do the following from the DOJ. Th- yeah, doing the doing these forty things, and they did they didn't even do half of them, and. And there's sh- so there's there have to be um, uh, there have to be there has to be accountability. There has to be measurables, accountability, Correct. and all that good and stuff. It, and and so that's one where you can't just rely on the on the city council to do it because in 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 too many cases they don't. But at the same time, we do have to demand local local governments to do a better job. Like that's a hard job. You know, you're running in an election, and the the police union is making endorsements and whatever. You care about that, but. That's true for anything. So you've got to you've got to step up and, and exercise that leadership locally, but also standards at the state level, training at the state level, um, and and then we as we do that, we also have to celebrate great great officers and departments too, because part of the challenge that we're facing, you cannot create a you know a, a the 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 very best most most racially just system of law enforcement in California. If nobody wants to th- work, if <laughs> nobody who believes in that wants to work there, and so one of the challenges that we have is that while we have to continue to attack the the severe injustices that are occurring in so much of our law enforcement injustices, and we cannot paint the whole system with such a broad brush that the only people that want to work in it are are sort of self identified racists. That's not that's not an outcome that's going to work. I know that from you know trying to curate my own police department over time. So our our best bet is to tackle these things head on, honestly, with the right policies and training and evaluation and accountability, and simultaneously to support and celebrate law enforcement when it gets it right, which is a lot of the time. Yeah. Final question, because I know we could do like thirty more of these. How do we protect our seniors from this budget that's about to screw them? Uh, yeah, this uh, uh, services and protections for seniors are not protected in the Constitution like so many other things are. Um, and so there, there, there are a couple areas where, where we've got um, big ones, and I won't go into detail partly <laughs> because i got to go talk I, to I'm voters. holding them over, so um, I apologize. But the uh, – uh, I mean, so one area is uh, just in terms of, long, like, long-term care. Like, we don't ha- – we all re- – even in the – There's e- not enough beds. Even after we had – an ungodly amount of billions of dollars of sur- state surplus. We made virtually no progress in in support for long term care, and and almost uh, virtually no Californians have adequate long term care coverage or funding. And in fact, we increased the cost for a lot of these programs. So that's a big challenge. The another is on the is on the fraud and abuse um, and the preying upon seniors, which has been uh, a major problem for now for two generations, but with the, and, and the internet has only made it dramatically worse. But here's the, the, f- the really frightening part where the state government and in and, and the Senate, I want to take you know, a lead on this issue is with AI and the deep fakes um, issues. Um, and, and imagine what fraud and abuse and elder abuse looks like when, uh, you know, you can get a call and it sounds like it's your, it, it's your son finally calling um, and it's really a scammer. Yeah. Um, and they have all the data. They know everything about you. And they can pretend to be a close, trusted person 
Um, uh, it's your new Nigerian prince. Exactly, but the Nigerian prince is 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 your is is the son you've been hoping to hear from, and now he and now he is, and he just needs you to wire him ten thousand dollars. This is the this is going to open up uh, some of the the you know the worst potential abuse that we've ever seen, and state government's got to get ahead of it. They do, um, Chris. Chris I appreciate your time. I know I've, I've kept you long, so I apologize to your next event. Uh, why should people vote for you, and how do they get in touch with you? Ah, well, they can uh, uh, they can grab me on you know on the internet. We're at cabaldenforsenate.com. You can email at christopher at cabaldon.org, um, or just look me up on the internet. We're easy to find. Um, and I, I, I think this is an election with the with the budget situation that it is, with the delta where it sits, uh, and where this mismatch, like this gap between where state government is going in so many ways, and where 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 are the aspirations of people in this district and Contra Costa are. Um, that I've got the, the the background and the and the, the the knowledge and like where the skeletons and the quarters and the accountants and all that are in order to really make a difference for our communities um, and to and to make sure that we that we do um, implement common sense solutions to advance our, our state and our communities um, as uh, to the same kind of transformation that we achieved in my own city. And you know people. And I know people. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chris. I thank do. you so much for your time. Uh, for everyone else, do me a favor, hit like, subscribe, and share, and I will see you on ContraCosta.news. Take care.